0: to our weekly uh, lecture series sponsored by CRICA, the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia. So today, our speaker is someone who I think uh, most of you know. Uh, Manan Vanderwater is the Vilas Phipps Distinguished Achievement Professor in the Department of German, Nordic, and Slavic, and is currently the Chair of GNS. And Professor Vanderwater's research, teaching, and outreach reflects her dual interest in Russian literature and culture and also theater for youth. She's the author of several books and articles on theater, including Theater, Youth, and Culture, A Critical and Historical Exploration. And here I'll just editorialize. Here at Wisconsin, a lot of people speak about the Wisconsin idea and the boundaries of the university should be the boundaries of the state. And I really feel that Professor Vanderwater is one of those professors who puts that Practice into action. She is the uh, faculty director of the Oak Hill Prison Humanities Project. She's received three Baldwin Wisconsin Idea Endowment grants for that project and also for projects that bring university theater productions to rural school districts in South Central Wisconsin. All that while being chair of GNS <laughs> and maintaining her research. And her current research project is on Natalia Zatz, one of the founders of Theater for Young Audiences in <coughs> Russia. And
1: that will be the focus of her talk today. So let's give her a warm Krika welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you, Krika, for the opportunity to give a lecture here on Natalia Sats And get, even if it's only for a very short time, uh, back to the research that I had to lay to rest in the summer of 2016. <laughs> My aim was, and still is, after 33 weeks of this (laughs) chairing, to write a biography of Satz, who is known as the mother of theater for young audiences, or TYA, as we know it today worldwide. That is professional theater by adults for children and youth. Moreover, born in 1903 and uh, deceased in 1993, her life started before the 1917 revolution and ended in the aftermath of Glastost and Perestroika, and after the dismantling of the Soviet Union. And as such, this is my claim, everybody who can refute it, please tell me. As such, she may have been the only female, perhaps male, but I'm not sure yet, only female artist whose life spent the entire Soviet Union, whose working life spent the entire Soviet mm-hmm. Union. So before I go deeper into her early career, arrest and exile, I will give a brief overview of the life of this remarkable woman, so you have a better sense of who she is and what she accomplished. Natalia Satz grew up in a financially struggling but culturally rich environment. Her father was Ilya Satz, who composed the music for the famous production of Maurice Matelink's Bluebird, directed by Konstantin Stanislavsky, in 1903 at the Moscow Art Theater. Oh, sorry, in 1908 at the Moscow Art Theater. Her mother, Anna Shusnia, was a singer. In her autobiographies, Satz recalls listening with her sister to the compositions of her father and the singing of her mother that filled the house and the frequent visits of Sergei Rachmaninov, Konstantin Stanislavsky, Sivylob Meyerhold, Vera Sosyevskija, uh, Gordon Greg, among other notorious artists of the time. A precocious child, she built up personal friendships with Yevgeny Vachtangov and actors of the Moscow Art Theater. And the picture here is actually, it's a little bit. She's a little older, a little further. Although her father died of heart disease when she was eight, the company of these artists remained. Anna gave voice lessons to the actors of the Moscow Art Theater and the Bartangov Studio. At the age of 12, Natalia herself started giving piano lessons and contributed to the family income. She soon embarked on the chaotic times of the Russian Revolution, an event she never denounced, but rather saw as the start of her career. The chaos of the Russian Revolution and the subsequent civil war offered unprecedented opportunities to ambitious youth like Natalia Sats, And Sats took full advantage, becoming a major force in the education of the future Soviet citizen through the performing arts for the duration of the Soviet Union. Sats wrote several autobiographies during her life. And although they make very little mention of politics or the Russian Revolution, when they do, it is in euphoric terms. Quote, it was such a joy to walk in a crowd that sang and rejoiced to notice the first bright green leaves of trees and watch the red flags flapping in the wind, she recalls. Schools were suspended, and Natalia was eager to work, so her mother used her contacts to send her to the theater and music section. Temusek of the Moscow Department of Education, of the Moscow Soviet workers and peasant deputies. This is why they have all these acronyms that are <laughs> 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 <too> long, yeah. <laughs> Which happened to be in need of someone to head the children's theater section. At that time, she was 15 years old. For such, the revolution was an opportunity she took full advantage of as she readily acknowledges. And that's it several times. During her long and tumultuous life, Natalia became a a national and international icon, a tireless advocate for professional theater for children and youth, and uh, their rights to cultural education. Working as an artistic director at various children's theaters in Moscow during the 1920s and 30s, she was appointed in 1936 as the first artistic director of the official national state-supported Central Children's Theater, located on Theater Square, which was then named Svetlovsky Square, next to the Bolshoi Theater and opposite the Mali Theater. Here, she became friends with the composer Sergei Prokofiev and commissioned, among other works, Peter and the Wolf. Sat saw her appointment at the Central Children's Theater as a confirmation of her work as director of the government-supported Moscow Theater for Children, which she founded in 1921. She was highly successful by all accounts, but nevertheless she was arrested in 1937 during Stalin's purchase, taken to the infamous Lubyanka prison in, in Moscow and sentenced to five years in labor camp, ostensibly as an enemy of the people. We have heard that phrase. Mm. Yeah. Her husband at the time, Israel Weitzer, was executed. Initially, Satz was sent to a Siberian labor camp at Nova Ivanovo, Later, she was transferred to the Varinsky camp in Siberia, and in 1938 or 39, sometime to the Rybinsk camp in the Yaroslav province, not too far from Moscow. Although she kept up her spirits by organizing theatrical events throughout her exile, Rybinsk gave her the more freedom to put her talents to work, and she organized and directed a musical ensemble, the Jazz and Drama Group, which was allowed to tour to neighborhood camps. In 1942, her sentence was over, but she was not allowed to return to Moscow. Instead, she went to work at the opera, or was sent to work, at the opera in Almaty, Kazakhstan, Mm -hmm. where she soon founded the Kazakhstan Theater of the Young Spectator. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: After a brief stint in Saratov, Sats was rehabilitated under Khrushchev in 1957 during the thaw period and returned to Moscow. Undefeatable. She was appointed artistic director of the All-Union Touring Company, wrote a dissertation at GITIS, the uh, State Theater Arts Institute, published a book, which was sort of her dissertation, Yeti Pichutti's Theater, Children Come to the Theater, refused a pension, and became the head of the children's theater section of the Moscow Estrada. Sats fulfilled her dreams in the decades that followed. In 1963, now 60 years old, She founded the first musical theater for children in the world, a theater that was devoted to opera and later also ballet, so not musicals as we know it here, Um, with young students from the theater and music institution in the company. Initially working without its own building, and later in a remodeled puppet theater, the specially designed and constructed Moscow State's musical theater opened its doors in 1979. Sots, now 76, supervised all aspects of the theater design and constructions. For the next 16 years, she remained the artistic director of the children's musical theater throughout the Brezhnev period, into the period of Glasnost and Perestroika, and during the fall of the Soviet Union, until her death in 1993. Her husband, her fifth husband, <laughs> <laughs> Viktor Provorov, a good three decades younger than her, took over the artistic direction. In 2000, the theater was renamed the Natalia Satz Moscow State Children's Musical Theater. And by 2013, the theater, under the direction of uh, Georgi isaac since 2010, identified itself in in English, to get away from that, as the Moscow State Opera and Ballet Theater for Young Audiences, named after (laughs) Natalia Satz. So that is the current name. And they published this wonderful book. Such accomplishments and her methods at the theater in Moscow in the 1920s and early 1930s are cited in many sources as the inspiration to found professional theater, children's theaters, theaters for young audiences, among others in Japan, in Europe, particularly Eastern Europe, but from there to other European countries, and in the United States. Early theater for children and youth in other countries often came out of education and social work and was, by definition, amateur. SATS, however, from the beginning, eschewed any notions of children's theater as second class and emphasized professionalism and aesthetics in arts for young children. While retrospective notions clearly positioned Soviet theater for children and youth as an instrument of the totalitarian regime, the euphoric optimism of SATS, as of many revolutionaries in those times, was simultaneously naive and genuine. Satz was convinced of her mission. She knew where to go to, whom to talk to, and she was absolutely fearless. Part of this fearlessness may have been due to her childhood, which was mostly spent around grown-ups, and important grown-ups on top of that, well-known in contemporary Moscow culture and society. Part of it was undoubtedly related to her strong personality. She embraced the ideals of Marxism-Leninism, although she never was a party member but she had very important friends. She believed in theater for all, not only the cultural elite, and she was willing to do anything and endure a great deal to make this ideal come through. So it may be clear from this summary above that I just had uh, that much can be said about Satz and her contributions to theater for children and youth, both in the Soviet Union as well as in the world. But for the reasons of the scope and depth, the remainder of this talk will highlight her path to success placing her work in historical context of the newly founded Soviet states, and then her unexpected uh, arrest in 1937, and her time in exile. Natalia Saad was a product of her time. She spent her childhood among the Moscow intelligentsia and the cultural elite, which was in favor of the revolution and the Marxist ideology at the time. From her autobiographies, and there are many of them, some are overlapping, um, and there are other biographies, which says a lot. They're somewhat tiring to read sometimes. It is clear that her father, Ilya Sats, uh, f- who lived from 1875 to 1912, despite his untimely death, had a lifelong influence on her, both in ideology, uh, ideological world, world outlook, as well as in aesthetics and the music, of course. Natalia was born in Irkutsk, where her father was in three-year political self-exile, ostensibly because he was prosecuted for helping the poor during a famine in the Volga area with money uh, made available by Leo Tolstoy, He believed in art for all the people, a mantra he practiced in Irkutsk uh, that was also the mantra of the Moscow Art Theater, where he became the music director in 1906. While mostly forgotten among contemporary composers, it was Ilya Sats who, according to Konstantin Stanislavsky, quote, for the first time in the history of the theater, showed an example of how mu- music for the drama was written. Although other biographies, and certainly those written under totalitarian regimes and subject to, te- to censorship, have to be interpreted with a certain skepticism and an awareness of the process of memory and forgetting, there's no indication anywhere or from anyone I talked to that Natalia Satz doubted the right of all children to high quality musical and theatrical experiences even if she would have doubted the methods of the Soviet regime. There also seems to have been no reason for her her to work particularly for children other than by her own choice. The invitation to become head of the children's theater section in the Department of Education may have been a coincidence, which she enthusiastically embraced. But her talent was significant enough that she was invited by Otto Klemperer to direct Verdi's Falstaff at the Kroll Opera in Berlin and both Verdi's Falstaff and Mozart's Marriage of Figaro at the Teatro Colón in Buenos Aires in the early 1930s. This was after the premiere of Falstaff. Um, she was 29 at the time and, quote, there had never been any female operatic director in Europe. In her autobiographies, she maintained it was the love for children that made her go back to producing theater and music for children, time and again. And there were too, plenty of children on the streets of Moscow and Petrograd shortly after the revolution, and various institutions quickly recognized the need to provide something for these children. Anatoly Lunacharsky, <laughs> head of the newly established Commissariat of Enlightenment, or Narkompros, that is one of those acronyms, created a special (laughs) department of theater, the Teatrani Adiel, as early as 1918. It had a subsection for children's theater that established the Petrograd Children's Theater, a touring company for the theater children of uh, Petrograd, and the surrounding areas offering a program of fairy tales, children's songs, and pantomimes. The Petrograd Children's Theater did not resume after the summer for some unknown reason, but according to the Pit, the historian of Soviet theater for children, quote, from that moment, the attempts to create a special theater for children followed each other in persistent succession. In 1918, Moscow became the capital of the Soviet Union, and all government institutions, including the Narkinpras, were moved to Moscow, where Natalia Sats was already working at the children's department of the theater and music section. Sats had taken charge of organizing a series of programs for children in the 11 districts of Moscow, from theater to music concerts to circus acts, all performed by established artists. The ideological thought behind this was that all children, regardless of class or socioeconomic background, should be able to see the best artists and performances for free. The first children in the world who were ever offered that opportunity. The program reached out to children who in the period of economic dislocation could not come to the theater without transportation or proper shoes for that matter. The dire infrastructure uh, made touring to children also very difficult, however, and the lack of plays, ballet, or music appropriate for children became palpable. While the outreach performances were not stopped, Natalia wanted to establish a theater specifically for children in a special building. In October 1918, on the first anniversary of the October Revolution of 1917, the Children's Theater of the Moscow Soviet, a government-supported children's theater of puppets, ballet, shadow, and marionettes, opened at 10 Mamonovsky Alley. It was the first state-supported professional theater by, by, adult, by adults for children with its own house in the world. Meanwhile, the Moscow Soviet had agreed that once a week, all tickets to the Bolshoi would be distributed free to the children. In 1990, Satz 1919, Sats finally met Lunacharski at one of such performances, when she spontaneously jumped on stage, trying to help the children understand what went on in the ballet, and alleviate the many complaints around this unruly and uneducated audience. And that became, that's actually to this day, a habit still in her theater. Things are explained beforehand. In the intermission, Auntie Natasha, as the children knew her, and Lunacharsky were introduced, much to her embarrassment. Natalia didn't rest until she got Lunacharsky to attend at least two performances in her theater, the David and uh, uh, Goliath marionette show, which Lunacharsky praised for the puppets and the music, and the ballet Max and Mur- Moritz, which he thought, quote, harmful to a child's perception of the world. <laughs> Lenora Spade expands on the letter, stating that Lunacherski was appalled by the quality of the production and the vulgar slapstick. But at the same time, he was struck by the enthusiasm of both, both Natalia Satz and the performers. Quote, we must use all this energy and love for the cause and create an experimental children's theater under the control of the pedagogical cent, uh, section of the TEO and the school department of the Narcompros." Luna Czarski appointed a special committee to plan and organize a state-subsidized theater for children and youth under the auspices of the Northern Cross Ministry of Enlightenment. Natalia was charged to come up with a cost estimate for a first-class company, including a good orchestra, an education department, and new equipment. After the establishment of this this theater was approved, Natalia became one of the six members of the directorate of the theater, which had Lunacharsky himself as a permanent chair. Lunacharsky also appointed an artistic committee, which included, among others, Konstantin Stanislavski. The theater was to be housed on the premises of Satz Children's Theater of the Moscow Soviet, which itself was to be absorbed into the new theater. The rapidly emerging new leader, however, of the first state theater for children was, was Henriette Pascard. This is Henriette Pascar, a member of the directorate who was ideologically diametrically opposed to Satz and most of the others um, in the directorate. In an interview with Jean Sassen in 1951, Pascal called Satz an ambitious little girl and l'enfant russe who did little things to please the government. Satz, on the other hand, accused Pascar of being, quote, very much in love with power and criticized her lack of political direction and the mystical, religious, and bourgeois elements she introduced in her play. Indeed, Pascar's ideological views seem to be completely alien to the newly established <coughs> Soviet state. Pascal wanted to create a, quote, festive corner of comfort and beauty, a world of bright colors and happy sounds, a world of fairy tale heroes that would direct a radiant beam into the soul of the contemporary child. Pascal maintained that in these harsh times, the time of the Civil War immediately following the revolution, children left their enchanted kingdom, that was a quote, and needed to be returned to to that world. Fairy tale pills filled with music, dance, and magic offer children a chance to escape from reality and delve into a world of fantasy and imagination. Uh, As a side note, this is kind of like ironic and in the biography eventually, when it comes to the latter half, this comes out was that in Natalia Sutt's musical theater that she founded in the 60s. um, This was also the repertoire of fairy tales, nice music, enchanted. Although Pascar became the sole director of the first state children's theater in 1921, the essential escapist concept of children's theater could not endure in the new Soviet state. At the 12th Party Congress in 1923, a resolution was passed which urged all Soviet theaters, including the theaters for children and youth, Quote, to formulate in practical terms the question concerning the use of theaters for the systematic mass propaganda of ideas related to the struggle of communism. Unquote. Pascal was dismissed after she refused to accept the concept of children's theater as a tool or instrument for the education of children and youth in the principles of communism. She joined her family in Paris uh, and, you know, incidentally, also interesting. The painter, sculptor, and photographer Alexander Lieberman was her son. Um, in, the biographies, in his biographies, you can find very interesting things about Pascar. Yuri Bondi, a student of Meyerhold, took over the theater. In her book, Monteadra Moscou, Pascal describes her point of view in vivid terms, referring to Natalia Satz as Mademoiselle S. After the dismissal of the directorate of the first theater for children and Pascar's rise to uh, sole leader of this theater, Satz founded a new theater for children and youth of her own under the control of the Department of Education of the Moscow Soviet, which was a different department than the Narkompros. The Moscow Theater for Children opened in 1921 in temporary quarters with a fairy tale production, The Pearl of Adelminu, The Pearl of Adelmina. Satz and her partner, and later husband, first husband, Sergei Rozanov, uh, advocated Rozanov, advocated a theater for children that served the political goals of the new Soviet state. And because of a lack of place, they favored a repertory of adjusted fairy tales, different, as the most appropriate material for children. Each pay had to convey an important social message, a political message, or a social idea. In the Pearl of Adelmina, this message is hard to miss. The play deals with a sensitive young princess who flees the cruelty and the stupidity of the court to embrace a simpler and nobler life among the people. (coughs) Quote, not everyone is sated because not everyone works, she tells the audience. And, quote, the country doesn't need a king. The people must rule the country. In 1924, they produced Be Prepared, Budkethof, which for the first time featured pioneers on the children's stage. This was a theater of agitation and propaganda, instead of politicized fairy tales. The new hero was the young Soviet pioneer, uh, which was the youth club. uh, Always prepared, the child patriot of the new world order. Be prepared was the first of a new genre called igro Spectacle or play production, in which the audience was invited to participate in in various scenes. Besides active participation on stage, the audience was frequently urged by the actors to be prepared, to which the audience responded by shouting the pioneer slogan, or always prepared. (laughs) Satz acknowledges that the play had a host of defects. Nevertheless, it marked a new phase in the theater, and the next contemporary production, Pioneers, was in the same style. The aesthetics of the play productions echoed the experimental theater in the 1920s contemporary content in a constructivist style with props like machines and propellers, uh, furthering the socialist idea under the accompaniment of revolutionary hymns. Play productions were taken over by other theaters, the traveling Moscow Jews, Moscow Theater for the Young Spectator, was for a while famous for them. And they remained popular in Soviet theater for children and youth until the early 1930s. Satz and Rozanov uh, continued to look for different modes of expression, though experimenting with theatrical ways of communicating with their audience, which became a hallmark for the first decade of, Moscow, of the Moscow Children's Theatre. In 1927, they produced Nigritiornok i Abizana, The Negro Boy and the Monkey, a pantomime for very young children about the friendship between a black boy and a monkey who saves him from the bad snake. But the monkey is caught and taken to the circus. The boy looks everywhere in the world and eventually ends up in Moscow, where he starts working in a chocolate factory. When he goes to the circus, he finds the monkey, who recognizes the boy right away and jumps in his arms. Together, they go back to Africa, where the boy starts a pioneer group in his own village. The production was a huge success. <laughs> a final achievement of the synthetic production the theater had been looking for, combining music, dance, pantomime, acrobatics, animation, and spoken word. But later, in the 1930s, of course, it was also criticized as naive and scenographically formalistic. Uh, it was, however, in, the, in another thing, I, I talk more about that. It was a production that, for the first time, used um, comics at the end, so it was um, that was great innovation. By the end of the 1920s, state-supported theater for children and youth was firmly established, not only in Moscow, but also in other cities throughout the Soviet Union. The production practices reflected the general atmosphere of experimentation and innovation that was typical in the, of the Russian theater in the 1920s, encouraged by the new economic poli- uh, policy spirit of freedom. The plays evolved from fairy tales to politicized fairy tales to Marxist propaganda plays, with the main objectives of the ideolo- ideological education of the young Soviet citizen, the leaders of tomorrow. The following decade would change all that. The increase and that would change all that all that variety, I would say. The increase in censorship, the doctrine of socialist realism, the condemnation of pedology and formalism, and Stalin's purchase in the 1930s, which kept the whole intelligentsia, indeed the whole country, in their grip, tempered the enthusiasm, the energy, and experimentation that the revolution in the 1920s had brought to all the arts, including the theater for children and youth. Although no one was, of course, really safe during the Stalin purchase of the 1930s, The arrest of Natalia Satz came at at an unexpected moment. As all theater and art, theater for children and youth in the 1930s came under increased scrutiny and was to follow the doctrine of socialist realism introduced by Zhdanov in 1934. In March 1936, the Central Committee of the Communist Party and the Council of People's Commissars established a new theater in Moscow that was meant to be a model for the artistic, pedagogical, and political functioning of Soviet theaters for young audiences. The theater was housed in the newly renovated theater on Cyrillov Square, now Theater Square, a theater that formerly housed the second Moscow Art Theater and was adjacent to the Mali and Bolshoi theaters. The theater employed 375 people with an orchestra of 28. Natalia Sats was named director of the theater, which received the name Central Children's Theater, Tsetranij or the Djetski. Although it was officially hailed as a new theater, the core consisted of the troupe of the Moscow Theater for Children, which was Sats Theater, taking along its earlier established tastes, principles, and traditions. And that is Lenora Spade, the historian, saying that, not Natalia Sats. Natalia Selt herself was convinced it was an endorsement of the practices of the Moscow Theatre for Children, of which she was until then founder and artistic director. So the, tel- the Central Children's Theatre opened with a production taken directly from the repertory of the Moscow Theatre for Children, Seryozha Streltsov, by Lubimua. Uh, Seryozha is a, lo- a lonely boy of 15, suffering from depressions, despite the love and kindness of his father, which whom he lives after his mother abandoned him. When he is unjustly accused of stealing, he tries to commit suicide by catching pneumonia on purpose, but is saved by his anemic teacher, who donates her blood. Seryosha's attitude then changes drastically. He learns to accept the, life of his, the love of his father, his friends, and teacher, and even develops a sense of patriotism. Quote, how fine it is to live in this country he declares at the end of the play. There was seemingly nothing wrong with such performance during the short time she was director of the Central Children's Theater. She attracted famous people, such as Alexei Tolstoy, whom she persuaded to write a Soviet version of Pinocchio, uh, The Golden Key, and Sergei Prokofiev, here at the piano with Sats, rehearsing Peter and the Wolf, which had its premiere at at the Central Children's Theater on May 5, 1936. There are numerous accounts on why Satz was arrested in August 1937. Stories range from being accused of knowledge of illegal activities of Israel Weitzer, her husband at the time, who was the People's Commissioner of Domestic Trade of the USSR. Various sources rumored that she had an affair with the womanizer, Marshal Mikhail Tugachevsky, who was also shot, uh, along with six others, as an enemy of the people. Others speculate that the Ch- Central Children's Theater became too popular with Westerners, as the US ambassador was in attendance at the night she was arrested. Her daughter, Raksana, says that Satz was arrested because she lent money to the wife of an already declared enemy of the, of the people who lived next to them. And finally, Jean Sassi maintains that Sir Yosha Stratsov fell in, in, uh, fell in disfavor because it was declared slander against Soviet school and the Soviet child. Under Stalin's purchases, the lack of a cause of arrest was, of course, uh, not unusual. And it may very well be that there was never an official charge, as Roxana Sats actually claims, other than enemy of the people. Initially, Sats was sent to a Siberian labor camp uh, at Nova Ivanova. Reportedly, at the first night of her arrest in in the Lubyanka prison, she went gray overnight. Later, she was transferred to the Mariinsky camp in Siberia, where she was allowed to take part in amateur theatricals. And obviously, I have no pictures of this. In 1938 or 1939, not yet, 1938 or 1939, she was transferred to the Rybinsk camp in the Yaroslav province not far from Moscow. And Rybinsk, which had no political prisoners or hardened criminals, gave her much more freedom to put her talents to work. Aside from lifting up Rybinsk amateur theatricals, she organized a musical ensemble, the Jazz and Drama Group directed by Natalia Satz, which was allowed to tour to the neighboring camps, and also included the warden. In 1942, her sentence was over, but she was not allowed to return to Moscow to, to, to work in Moscow. She was allowed a little bit to Moscow, but not to work. Uh, She had her hair cut in Moscow, though, by Meyerhold's nephew, whom, according to her own autobiography, she instantly recognized. And if you know the picture of Meyerhold, that could be true. Instead, she was sent to work at the opera in Almaati, Kazakhstan, where she soon founded the Kazakh Theater of the Young Spectator. The theater opened in 1944 with the production of Little Red Riding Hood. In the summer of 2016, I visited the theater in Almaty and did an interview with the then 93-year-old Yuri Pomerantsev, a decorated actor who lives alone, I was in his house, lives alone in a five-bedroom apartment. Pomerantsev was wounded and evacuated to Almaty in 1943. Sats had handpicked him out of the choir at the opera to play the wolf in Little Red Riding Hood. Pomerantsev maintains that he was her most beloved actor and attributes his later success to Sats. Somehow, for reasons that are not quite clear to me yet, yet, she left Almaty and had a short stint in Saratov, which already had its own theater for young audiences. And some claimed actually that this theater was found days before Sats founded her theater in 1918. So I have to figure out more about that too. Sometime in 1957, she was allowed to return to Moscow during Khrushchev's fall. (laughs) However, she was not given back her job at the Central Children's Theatre, as she should have been offered by law. At the time, the Central Children's Theatre was having a very successful time, with Maria Knebel as artistic director, who was ousted from the Moscow Art Theater, Anatoly Efros as director, Aleki Vremov as an actor, who later became the director of the Moscow Art Theater, Viktor Rossov as the house playwright. According to Anatoly Smelyanski, it was actually in the Central Children's Theater where the thaw started. Satz, meanwhile, instead was appointed artistic director at the All Union Touring Company. And although she laments this disappointment in her autobiographies, she remains official loyal to the regime. In her autobiography, Satz emphasizes her love for her country, both in the chapter, chapters that speaks of her arrest, quote, I don't understand how I could possibly fall the waters whose life-giving waters made me what I am, unquote. And in the one that speaks about her exoneration, quote, Soviet law is humane and just, <laughs> It is difficult to gaze how much of this was genuine or not. Loyalty to the Soviet communism and the state, for whatever reason, uh, was far from unusual among uh, the former Zags, the, the Gulag prisoners, and there are several sources that are writing about that. So more research need to be conducted to construct a narrative of what may have happened during all these years. This will require research in the Regalia archives in Moscow, more interviews with the people who knew her and were close to her, although I clearly have to hurry with that. Um, mm-hmm. I will need to transcribe the interviews that I actually did in the summer of 19... 19? Of, uh, 19, of uh, 2016 <laughs> uh, that I have never transcribed uh, with Pomerantzav and also uh, with her latest husband who actually passed away a week or days uh, after I interviewed him. So I welcome questions and input. What shapes the larger project? Uh, the biography of Natalia Satz as a historiographical portrait of someone witnessed the entire Soviet Union firsthand in all its uh, trials and tribulations, taking both advantage of and suffering from what the regime had to offer her.
0: Thank you. (laughs)